it's time for our choir special, and um, I know on Mother's Day all the men got up and sang for the women. So today, I have learned two things in life about men. I have. Two, mainly. Number one, they love to be surrounded by beautiful women. I mean, just look around. They love to be around beautiful women. And number two, they want the volume as loud as it can go. One of our pet peeves when we're getting Bruce's truck, when he turns the air conditioner on, it's got to be on four, and it's got to be on the coldest it can get. There's no in-between. And the radio, it's got to be all the way up if it's on. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to surround the men with beautiful women. We're going to make a great big circle around the church. All the women, all the ladies, all the little girls, I want you to get a great big circle going. That's like now. Now, men, don't we look good? My daddy did not live past 60, but during his 60 years, whew, what a man. And I've learned the longer I live, the sweeter Jesus is to me. And so we're going to sing it for you men, because I know some of you, this is your theme song.
one popular preacher out in Houston said this. You know, some people say this saying, they say, as, as, as the economy goes, so grows the country. As the churches go, so goes the country. And I, I want to boil it down even further. As dads go, so goes the country. And so, dads, we need dads to step up. We need dads to be present. We're going to honor the dads. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Which means this. Love your family. Sacrifice. Too many dads today get married and have kids and they still want to be teenagers. Grow up. There's nothing wrong with acting silly and having fun, but you've got to take responsibility. Take responsibility for your home, your marriage, your kids. Be the dad God calls you to be. And at this time, I'm going to ask that, uh, that Kenneth give you a video tribute for dads everywhere. And you'll see. Good job, Lauren. Okay, I got it. Dad. Okay, don't forget to carry the one. Dad. Okay, that was delicious. Thank you. Right, hold on there, kiddo. Dad. Hey, cheese. There you go. Okay, just one more. Hold your trophy up a little bit higher. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's time to rise and shine. Dad. I love it. Um, no. Dad. Dad. And they were here first. So Dad. We... So you want to go catch a movie at like 7.30 or something? Dad. And one more. Okay, one more. Wait, wait, wait. Come on. Just one more. One more. Dad. I'm so proud of you. Now you just got to get a job. Dad. You look beautiful. Oh, Dad. Uh, and stand just a little closer together and move just a little bit to the left, uh, my left, uh, a little more. Dad! I believe Caleb and his friend has a has a special this morning. I'm going to ask Aaron to come around. And friend, Ken, folks, that he recruited.
them. We do have visiting with us the A-Bears, and they've been here before. It's been a little while. Uh, Jason Cindy, of course, Cindy's Karen's sister, and makes Jason my brother-in-law, and all my nephews, and and my sister-in-law, and just glad to have them. They'll be headed to the ABA, and then Sean will be joining uh, them as they travel. Of course, I'm going to stay, of course, for Brother Don's uh, funeral. And remember, continue to remember that family in prayer. Uh, so we got it all in. We got a lot going on, honoring dads and kids and a lot of stuff. And 
getting to sing, and that was pretty cool. Neat idea, Miss Barbara, with the ladies surrounding us. And yes, I amen you. And uh, I, I do like uh, that. Just doesn't sound right saying like pretty ladies. So, and so that just that just sounds weird. And, uh, okay, God made women beautiful. Let's just leave it at that. All right, let's just leave it at that. Brother Ed, I'm going to be in trouble before the day is over. Stick my foot in my mouth. And, uh, but, and I do like the loudness, so I'll amen that. So amen on the loudness part. And uh, there's a dirt dauber flying around. I may need, if somebody keeps their camera real handy, I'm going to, in a minute, somebody is going to be swatting at that thing, doing like that. And I'm going to take a picture, and I'm going to show them we have lively services here at Promised Land. And people hand-raising and doing all sorts of stuff. I don't know what happened with them. So if that dirt dauber motivates you in a little bit, uh, somebody get a picture. And uh, we can share about what kind of services we have here at Promised Land. I tell you what, we do have good services. God's really blessed us. And we had great services last uh, Sunday, the homecoming was awesome. The fellowship was awesome. Everything. Uh, God has been so good to us, and I'm thankful. We had, uh, of those 64 salvations, we had three in our group that was saved. We, had, we took a lot of our kids that were already saved. And so that's always good, but it's always great to see young people come to know the Lord as their Savior. And uh, if you would at this time... Uh, stand for the reading of God's holy word. Standing in the gap, that is the name of the message. We need not only dads, but moms to rise up and stand in the gap. Somebody who'll stand for the principles of God's word, conservative living. Just this one verse in Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. It says this, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Let's pray. Father, as we bow before you, thanking you for this time to honor dads, but also to realize that You are the designer of homes and families, how we should live, and that there is a need today. May we be found standing in the gap for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. God has called every man, and sometimes women, to stand in the gap, to be the doorkeeper. You know, today, and for all of history, we need dads to rise up, to stand up for the home, to stand up for the truths of His Word. There are so many things lacking in our, in our morals today and in our country. As we look for just a little while this morning... The words of Ezekiel should stir up in our hearts that I'm not, am I doing? Ask yourself this question. Am I being the parent I need to be? Am I being, as I challenged the Penningtons, 
to be the role model that we we are we all have a role but we say well I'm I'm being a mom I'm being a dad nobody has the right to tell me how to raise my kids well I don't have the right to but God does okay and his holy word tells us how we should live not only live our lives but how we should even raise our kids he has the right because he has the patent on it he designed it. He registered the trademark. He's got it all. He's the one that started a mom and a dad, and they should have kids, even though our society is turning against it. <clears throat> we need to be very, very careful to always stand for the truth of morals. Folks, I want to say this just, you know, simply put, The Bible teaches that sex outside of marriage is wrong. The Bible teaches that living together is wrong. The Bible teaches that homosexuality is wrong. That doesn't mean that we should hate people or uh, even dislike people that that commit those sins. We should say that that's not right. Uh, I've had people sometimes, uh, you know, want to... You know, they, I want to follow the Lord. I want to do what's right. Well, the first thing I'd tell them, I said, well, we need to take care of this. You know, you don't need to be uh, living together. You don't need to be having sex outside of marriage. You don't need to be, uh, uh, you know, if it's talking about same-sex uh, relationships, these shouldn't be going. It's all this. It's all it's, it's sin. It all falls under the same heading as something that needs to change Yet so many times we start letting things slip and letting things slide and and we say it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. But God's Word says it's not okay. And so standing in the gap, these things need to take... Matter of fact, in our text we find out this, what I call our offensiveness. Now if we back up, we read verse 30, but I want to back up to verse 23 and look at the offensiveness. Let's just read this here. Uh... We don't want to offend anybody. But, you know, I mean, people say, well, you know, matter of fact, there's this church that uh, we're having a national meeting. We're a part of our Baptist church. Promised Land Baptist Church is a group of churches called the American Baptist Association. That's who we associate together to do mission work. Uh, The Southern Baptists believe basically the same things we do. They do mission work different, and they just have a few little odds and ends that are a little different than than us. But they just got through with their national meeting, and they were really wondering if they were going to, because there's a church, first time in history, first time in history that a Southern Baptist church has come out in the open and said that they were uh, uh, for homosexual relationships is out there in uh, California. I forget the name of the town, but anyway. And so they were wondering if they were going to address it. They didn't end up addressing it. They probably will have to later. But what it is, the pastor and members of the church said, well, we, we don't want to offend. We don't want to offend. And the thing is, though, but sometimes when, you know, you say, well, we just need to love everybody <clears throat> except people but what are you going to preach? What do you? I mean, sooner or later you're going to be backed into a corner and say, "Well, there's there's nothing ever wrong. There's nothing ever. What does God's word stand for? Let's just throw it out and just love each other." 
then sooner or later you're going to be backed into a corner. Is lying wrong? Is stealing wrong? Is I mean, so, so well, no, no, they're a thief. They're just God made them that way. They need to take your stuff because God made them that way. Well, no, that's not, I'm right. You could argue that for anything. You could say, God made them that way. I'm a kleptomaniac. God made me that way, so I'm going to take, do you mind if I take everything you have? <laughs> because God made me that way. And so, but you could argue, but folks, all I'm saying is, is that God has, His word has lines, has boundaries. It has a right and a wrong. Look at verse 23. And the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, Say unto her, Thou art the land, thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor reigned upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They've devoured souls. They've taken the treasure and precious things. They have made uh, her many widows in the midst thereof, which means the uh, church and the churches of that day had become corrupt. Her priests, verse 26, have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Nobody's standing for the truth anymore. The preachers and the prophets and the, the, there, there weren't any, as we know of churches, churches in the Old Testament, but basically they're assembling. They, they, we would call it churches. And they were, nobody was standing for right and wrong. They're making it profane. There's no right. You can do anything you want. Live any way you want to live. You know, and today we have dads saying, you know, yeah, you want to drink? Here you go. Here's your six pack. I don't care if you're six years old. You know, here you go. Have, have, you get drunk, drink and drive, do any of sleep around, have all the, uh, illicit relationships you want. There's no right and wrong, son, daughter. Live and die. And that's what they were preaching and believing. And then it says in verse 27, her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey. Basically, the government, now the government's not doing anything, to shed blood, to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain, and her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar. Basically saying this, untempered mortar means this, you can build your life, your government, your nation on untempered mortar means this, it's going to crumble. It's a deck of cards. It's a house of cards, excuse me, that's going to fall. It doesn't have any foundation. When you don't have any morals, any standards of right and wrong, a country will fall. And that's what's happening with the United States. We just take out this card and we take out this mortar and we water down this idea and nothing's right, nothing's wrong, there's no standards anymore and pretty soon the whole thing is going to come crumbling down. There's no such thing as a standard home anymore. You know, a, a, a typical home today is a broken home. I know, I was raised in one. And we have it today, it's just it's part of our culture. But it doesn't mean we should back down. It doesn't mean that, and like I said, parenting is not about perfection. I didn't ask the Penningtons to be perfect, but I asked them to be persistent. That means I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. 
And that's what, that's what being a Christian and living here in Hamburg, Arkansas, and Ashley County, Arkansas is all about. Folks, yes, I know we're sheltered here in Ashley County, Arkansas. I know according to this description, folks, it says this, everything's crumbling around and it all comes down to verse 30. And all this is happening. The princes means the government. The prophets means the preachers. And nobody's, everybody's crooked in Ezekiel's day. In Ezekiel's day, nobody will stand up for right and wrong or God's holy word. Because what does our text say? Our text says God's looking for somebody who will put a hedge around the country and a hedge around the home and saying, no, the line it stops here. The buck, as Truman said back in the day, Truman said, the buck stops here. Basically meaning this, I'll take responsibility. But too many times people today saying, oh, it's the government's fault everything's in a mess. It's the schools and the school teachers' fault everything is in a mess. Folks, stop blaming and look at yourself. We are to blame. Look at home. And ultimately, ultimately, it's the guys. You know, we can point the finger all day long like Adam did. Even though technically, I don't think he was saying it was Eve's fault. He was just telling the truth. He said, Eve gave me the fruit and I ate it. A lot of people say, well, he was blaming her. Well, he didn't blame anybody. He could blame somebody. But it was ultimately his responsibility. And his dad's responsibilities everywhere. So many times today, we can say, well, <clears throat> I, I, I fight, I struggle, I try. Well, don't give up. I love what it says in uh, Fighting for the Home Job was a man like this. He lived back in the days of the, the of Genesis, and I call it the patriarchal days. And I love that first part of Job, chapter one, verse five, where it says this. It says, "And it was so that when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them." Rose up early in the morning. He offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. You know what Job 1.5 is saying? You know what that verse that's on the screen and in your Bible is saying? Job was a priest for the family. This is, you know, this is the days before the laws of Moses, okay? This is Genesis. All right, thereabouts, most Bible students, scholars, and commentators, that's where they put, they put Job, and I think rightfully so. And he, he, according to what he knew was passed down, that he knew these sacrifices represented something. I believe he even had an inkling about the resurrection, because he said, in my flesh, I shall see God one day. So I think he even knew and believed about a resurrection, even though he didn't understand it all, about a resurrection. And he said, these sacrifices mean something. And he said, I want to please God, and I want to be a husband and a daddy that, you know, or a dad that will please God. And so he offered sacrifices for his family. And when your children turn around and walk the other way, <laughs> I get tickled. And, uh, and I, I don't need to be surprised, I guess. 
I remember about uh, the ninth grade, Taylor, of course, has always played basketball, and I always coached her. About the ninth grade, she started saying, when I would give her advice, I'd always give her the advice, I guess, at the wrong time. And it'd be right after a game, I said, you know what you need to work on? You need to do this, you need to do that. And she would say, Dad. And she didn't want to be corrected right after a game. I said, well, that's just a competitive fire in her, and she just doesn't like to be corrected. My son just finished the ninth grade. <laughs> Tenth grade, sorry. Tenth grade, sorry. <laughs> I'm having you, you just got to repeat them all, son. <laughs> no, Dad. And uh, he's growing up too fast. I can't keep up. But I'll try to correct Caleb. Dad. He says it in his, remember when their voice changes? He goes from dad to dad. <laughs> but I understand that. I know I did my mom and dad the same way. Matter of fact, I was just curious. I taught the I taught 60-something 10th through college age at church camp this week. Three classes. And, I, and because of this phenomenon and uh, that we go through, I said, how many of you will take correction, but you hate getting corrected by your parents? Lift your hand. They all went. They, they, they don't mind being corrected. They just don't want their parents to do it. But you know what? It's our job. So we apologize, kids. We've got to do it. We're called by God to do that, to correct you. And, to, and we do it because we love you, even though it's hard to understand right now. This brings us to our need today. I don't, the darker the darkness, the brighter the light shines. And so many times, folks, our nation right now is getting dark. Our, our nation is getting dark. And, but if you'll stand for this book right here, you'll realize that it pays off in the end. Our objective, this is pretty interesting. To find parental advice in the book of Ezekiel is interesting, but it's right here before us. Take a look at Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 17. We have a God-given mandate to be a watchman, a gatekeeper, a doorkeeper, to set up a hedge for the home. This is Even though this was used in a different setting, we can take these truths and apply them as parents, as dads. Now, this, the setting is different. The principles are the same. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17. Son of man. Now, he's talking to Ezekiel. That's his nickname. I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. Our responsibility as parents is to hear the word of God and pass it on to our kids. That is our job. And it says here in this verse, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman. You're to watch, you're to guard, you're to protect, you're to set up hedges, barricades. And if, and if teenage boys come around, get the shotgun out. <laughs> set up the hedge. You know, I've had one, one girl, 
and you know, I set up the hedge long enough for a good godly man to come along and, and find her. And I didn't know I was introducing my son-in-law to my daughter at the time, but I introduced them. Now they're blaming me. But he's a pretty good one, and I'm, and I'm proud of Sean. And so, but I got another girl. <laughs> you know, and sooner, and just like, you know, the Penningtons and everybody else having these girls, and we're gonna have, and we're gonna have to watch, and folks, and they wouldn't mind if we set up a hedge around Promised Land. Who are you? Do you love the Lord before you can date one of our Promised Land girls? We ain't gonna let you in this hedge until you cross your heart and hope to die and trust Jesus as your Savior. Okay? And set up a hedge around there. But it says there, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman. Folks, if there wasn't a better parenting verse than that one, I don't know what is because God has called you to be a watchman over your house. And to hear the Word. And when you hear the Word, you hear, okay, God, what do you want me to do? But then you've got another responsibility. What's the, part, other part, what's the very end of that verse? Won't you tell them? So I, I know what God's Word says, and then I've got to what? Huh? Hey, hey, kids. Karen and I, and most of you already know this, are very frank in our home. And that's an idiom for being blunt. With our kids. We talked bluntly about the birds and the bees. We didn't even say birds and bees. We just started naming parts and how they work. We did. Oh. At the dinner table? Dad, are you serious? If they're going to hear it, let them hear it from me. I'd rather hear it from me than anybody else. Because we live in a world that will fill our kids' minds with... The wrong way, why don't we tell them the right way? Amen? I mean, be bold. And don't be, and if it turns, and if it makes your face turn red, I guarantee you it'll make their face twice as red, but you're both doing the right thing. This is right, this is wrong. Standing for the truths of God's Word. I made the watchman. This is our job. Then it says God's holding us responsible. You, you just thought I was uh, rough with the first verse. Wait till verse 18. Verse 18 says this. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die. And the wicked being here, did you know, uh, I love the way, and I think it was in the early 80s, <laughs> when Bill Cosby, great, great comedian, and a very conservative guy. Anyway, he says all children are brain damaged. That was part of his routine. He says all kids are brain damaged. Okay? And says it's up to us to try to work with that. Alright? And so, but don't, I mean, we were all kids and brain damaged once ourselves. Okay? That's why we did what we did when we were teenagers and younger. Okay? But that's why it says here, when thou say, you, when you warn the wicked, what's that? Just insert brain-damaged children, okay? That's what I'm, I'm speaking to. Thou shalt surely die. Son, if you keep doing that, you're going to die. Daughter, if you live like that, you're going to die. That's a warning. Thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. 
The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But look at the end of verse 18. Notice it says, and thou givest him not warning. If you parents, if you don't do your job, basically your kids are going to make the same, if not worse mistakes than you made. And it could cost them their physical life. And all kinds of emotional scars. And then what does God say about your job as a parent? I'm holding you responsible. That's, that's redneck terminology right there. That's what the end of that verse says. I'm holding you responsible. If you don't, if we don't bow up and be the parent we should be, if we say, well, I've already made all these years of mistakes, is it too late? No, it's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to do the right thing. So it says here, they, and if they don't know any better, they're going to commit the same, if not worse, mistakes. And, and they'll, they could die from the, these mistakes. And I'm holding you responsible. Ouch. I guess probably the biggest thing that we face here today in Ashley County in parenting is probably alcohol. Uh, on my Facebook page, I put, I mentioned earlier about the picture of my dad and it was uh, basically, I just cut off the happy holidays part and just took a picture of a picture like some people do with their phone. And, uh, it was dad standing beside his patrol car posing and the trooper pose, you know, and so he's in his 1987 slim self, about 75 pounds lighter than he is now. And, uh, back when he was really bowed up. Dad got an award. Uh, when I graduated high school, when I turned 18, I signed a, a, a waiver with the state of Texas so I could go to work with my dad. And we would work project work in Los, uh, <coughs> Longview, Texas. Project work in Longview, Texas, since Russ County was a dry county and Longview was a wet county, that's where everybody went to get their, their beer. And uh, one of the most interesting parts of his job, the project, was anybody that pulled out of a nightclub were to follow them. And this is the days before onboard and toxilizer uh, tests. And so you had to give the old-fashioned sobriety test where you do all sorts of agility tricks and different things and walk in lines. And it was funny to see, okay, touch your nose. You know, and and to look up and they go, okay, look down, okay, and... Uh, well, I'm, I only had a drink because my diabetes is acting up. And, uh, so, and this, and, you know, and all sorts of weird reasons for why they were intoxicated. And, uh, I'm not drunk. I've just been, I only had six. And, uh, so just all sorts of stuff. But dad got an award from MAD. Anybody know what that stands for? Mothers Against Drunk Driving. That's how many parents have lost children. Due to drunk driving. He made the most DWI arrest in that region of Texas in one year. And it was fun. He he taught me how to spot them. I was following along. We were he had, he had done clock out. It's time to go home. We was headed back from Henderson back to Mount Enterprise, Texas. And uh, and I was watching that car and that truck as a truck actually a truck in front of us. I said, Dad, he's drunk. And uh, it was, I mean, the signs were right. I mean, it was obvious. He said, well, he got to watching then. He said, well, son, he slowed down. He said, son, you're right. 
we pulled over and there's a Hispanic guy with a Caucasian woman and uh, two elderly grandparents in the back in the extended cab Ford truck. Anyway, none of them had a driver's license and the only driver, and I had to drive the truck and, and there was one little girl and the grandparents back to the jail. And uh, it was just, it was mind-blowing to see what happened next. It's too long of a story to tell you. But folks, all of that to say this is that if we don't warn them, if we don't work with them, you know, the, our kids will fall for anything. It's very popular to drink. It's very popular. It's very accessible. And uh, we, we'll do verse 19. Verse 19 is where I want to end, and I call it the broken-hearted parent. The broken-hearted, or the heartbroken parent. Verse 19 is this. Before we read this together, everybody look at me. You can be perfect, and your children can still mess up. That's what this verse is about. Before I read it, that's what I want you to be thinking of. I can do the best job under God's green earth that I can. I can do everything just right as a parent, and your kids are still people. Your kids are still sinners. I'm a sinner. You're, we're all sinners. That's why we need a Savior. And if you were able to be a perfect parent, your children still have a choice to make. They're ultimately responsible that's why whenever a child gets on up, I mean, sometimes it's best just to cut the apron strings and let them sink or swim. You say, what if something happens to them? It could be failure can be the best lesson that someone can learn from. Let them fail. Let them fail. Too many times we don't let them fail enough. Let them fall. Let them get skin up. Let them crawl out of the hole. Don't help them out of the hole. Let them, because then it, it, they won't develop the strength when you're not there to be able to face the next trial. There, if that hurts. I shouldn't do that anymore. That's right. Look at verse 19. Yet, if thou warn the wicked, you warn your kids, you try to teach them, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. Folks, this is just like salvation. Because you as a parent, you as a parent, do, you do your job. They move out. They make their own decision, don't they? They mess up. And you know, sometimes we have to learn, as a heartbroken parent, we have to learn the lesson of the prodigal son. Sometimes it's one of the hardest things. Folks, parenting is hard work. And learning the lesson of the prodigal son means this, that you're sitting on the front porch in your home and you're at work and you're praying, you're despairing because your, your son or your daughter is living. You know they're headed in the wrong direction. They're living away from God. But folks, they're out from under your roof. You can do nothing. 
And as my mom said one time, you learn, you learn there's a whole nother level of prayer life that you didn't even know existed until that moment came along. When you don't have them, you can't sit them down and pick them up like this and say, boom, anymore. And say, come over here, I'm bending you over my knee. And sometimes you just have to say, God, they're in your hands now. Mistake or no mistakes. This is just like salvation. How? Did y'all know God's done His job? Jesus has done His job. And the Holy Spirit is doing His job. And now, the choice is yours. The choice is yours. And our kids grow up, the choice is theirs. Now the choice is yours. What are you going to do with Jesus? As we prepare for Him invitation. Father, as we bow before You, help us to realize the importance of standing in the gap. Standing for the truth of Your Word. And not budging. Even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, dear Lord, to help us to tell our kids the truth. And tell tell it to them in love. And to never give up on them. Never give up on them. Like that prodigal father. The father who waited patiently. And finally, his son came home. Maybe there's somebody here and needs to make a decision. They need to trust you as Savior. They need to rededicate their life to you. Whatever your will is for their life, work in their heart while we have this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.